Welcome to the great work of your life. It's easy to feel overwhelmed today. The world around us feels divided, angry, and fearful. So many people have lost trust in our institutions and our leaders. We know we need to follow a different path, a countercultural path, if we want to make a difference. But in a culture where everyone seems to be talking over each other, it's hard to know what this even looks like or feels like. My name is Reverend Ian White Marr, and this sermon is part of a series called Loving the Hell Out of the World, which explores four spiritual values we all need to cultivate if we want to be healers on this journey. They are belief, wisdom, morality, and agency. After you listen, we invite you to go online at community.mvuc.org to share your insights and meet other spiritual seekers like you, devoted to building a wiser, more nurturing world. You will also find a variety of resources designed to help you lean into your life's purpose. Join us at community.mvuc.org. Good morning, non-believers. People of little faith. That's what they say about you, right? Deluded and brainwashed by the feminists and the homosexuals, and the homosexual feminists. <laughs> I mean, you've even been called anti-Christian because uh, you say, I believe that Jesus lived on this planet as a man. And why does he have to be a god to have any meaning? Can't he just have meaning as a human being who taught about an ethical way of living? But that's the talk of a non-believer. the way they do, so you can't talk about him at all. If you don't call him God, then non-believer, you've lost the right to call on him, period. And non-believer, you dare to question the direction of this nation. Well, that means you don't support our troops. And you worried about surveillance by the government? What have you got to hide? Concerned about sale of billions of dollars in weapons to nations like Saudi Arabia? What, do you want to let the terrorists win? You self-satisfied intellectuals. I'm looking at you, David. (laughs) Who seem incapable through a forest and realizing that it is just too perfect not to have some intelligent being behind its whole design. What do you mean you don't know where this universe comes from and you don't know where you go when you die? And you don't know sometimes why people suffer. That's the talk of someone with no faith. And you'd better not question too loudly, non-believer, because if you question. If you act on your fundamental human principle to be curious, to be inquisitive, to be an independent thinker, then someone is going to call you out as godless, and if you are godless, then you don't count. And that's how they undermine our civic voice, 
and how they discount our joys and our pains, and that's how they marginalize our religious experience. They say that we are a club, that you can believe whatever you want, that we have no faith, that we are secular, that we are godless, and that we don't count. Now, I understand a person's desire to feel some certainty in their life. Like, why am I here is a very lonely question, and no one likes to be alone, and I want to know that my life has meaning. There's a certain insecurity to our existence. I want to know that my life matters. So I understand why people turn to certain religious leaders or movements that tell them that there is an answer and there, there is a way to assuage their insecurity. And there is a promise that they make that ends suffering, loneliness. If you believe, if you have faith in their answer. So I understand why people turn there. These are scary times. I want some answers. There, there's some things that I want to know. I feel more secure when there are some things that I know. But telling me that I don't count, that I'm godless, that I'm a non-believer, that I have no faith because I question, it's ignorant and it's rude. But it hurts even more when sometimes we believe them. Sometimes we repeat those very same comments about ourselves, that we have no faith, that we are a club, that as a religious movement we don't matter. And it's painful to hear outsiders say that we don't count, but it is demoralizing when we internalize their view of us. And I'm sympathetic, truly, because I understand why we have rejected the label believer. Right? The United States is not a Christian nation, but in our context, in our culture, it is largely defined by the dominant religion, which is Christianity. And a number of these Christian churches have sought to define the meaning of believer using homophobia, racism, patriarchy, misogyny, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, while propping up gospels of prosperity and shaming the poor. And given that definition, a lot of us willingly stand up and, and say proudly, right? I am not a believer. Like if that's what me, being a believer means, then uh, no thank you, I choose non-believer. And, and these same churches have attached believer to, to proselytizing and sexual shaming and, and a version of conservatism that is really harmful. And UUs don't want to be associated with these things, so we've retreated from the public sphere. And sometimes we show up for social justice work, but in other areas of our life, in other areas of the public life, we, we consider it pretty gauche to say, I do these things because this is what my faith tells me. That my faith defines my worldview and it influences what I do. You know, we don't very often say that. And so what we've done is we've founded these beautiful sanctuaries where we could be with one another. 
So we wouldn't have to go through all of these tedious conversations justifying why black lives matter or why people should have access to reproductive health care, including abortion. And in the process, we have become so allergic to evangelism that sometimes it's really hard to find us because we're tucked away in these practically hidden locations. And our signage is really subtle. <laughs> and it's, it's dignified because that's how we like to be seen, subtle and dignified. But you can easily miss it. And sometimes we treat finding our church like winning a prize, like some leprechaun's pot of gold, right? At last you found the people who think like you. That's the worst, I can't believe I did. My ancestors are so mad right now. They, that is the worst Irish accent I've ever done in my life. Yeah, the ancestors are looking down like, that was horrible. Anyways, at last you found the people who think like you. You know, in fact, we uh, used to have an ad campaign that was really resonant with this perspective. Some of you have been around long enough to remember it. Are you, 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 and don't know it? Yeah, some of you remember, right? Which is, what it's really saying is Unitarian Universalism is more of a state of being. It's a type of person rather than a journey that helps you transcend the struggles that we all face. Not just the loneliness and the overwhelm that we face, but also things like selfishness and resentment and unkindness, which all of us deal with sometimes. Unitarian Universalism is not merely a harbor for like-minded people. It is a spiritual path for helping to bring more compassion into the world. And I believe that there's a crisis going on in Unitarian Universalism right now. And honestly, it's a crisis that's happening in all of the mainline churches. For the first time in the history of the United States, fewer than half of U.S. adults attend a house of worship, in part because the, the word and the concept church has become associated with bigotry, political extremism, and greed. Maybe some of you associate the word with church that way. You're like, but not my church, the other churches. But also, in part, because churches really are just not delivering on the promise of making people's lives more meaningful. They are sort of really segregated places where we can be with people like us, rather than really diving into the journey of this life where, gosh, ask my girlfriend, where I need help becoming less mean. <laughs> Honestly, I need help, and I need you to help me. I need, more, I need to bring more compassion, and I rely on you to help me do that. Unitarian Universalism used to be a destination for people fleeing conservative churches, the ones that they grew up in. But that's really no longer the case. From 2008 to 2020, 
2008 was actually our high point, 2008 to 2020, our numbers shrank nationally by 15%. That's more than a percentage point a year. And then COVID hit, which really decimated the congregations. Again, not just us nationwide, but, but us right now, right? And as we transitioned out of the isolation that was imposed by those early years of the pandemic, many churches have seen a rise in visitors, but we haven't nationwide seen an overall trend towards growth. People are looking for connections, so they're checking us out. They're looking for meaning, so they're visiting. They're looking for purpose in the wake of a devastating isolation and trauma, but it's unclear if UU churches will ultimately be the place that provides what these people are seeking. We were very successful in our mission of getting away from the conservative theologies that shamed us and brought a lot of pain to our families. But the culture as a whole has shifted, right? And that kind of respite is not needed as much anymore. Saying you're a non-believer today is hardly revolutionary. And you just go on the internet and all the kids will tell you, right? And it's not really even that satisfying because it isn't helping us transform our hearts as we wrestle with issues like selfishness, resentment, and unkindness. This means that the people who are looking for help in transforming their hearts end up looking elsewhere for support. They, they start with podcasts and, and social media and maybe the online class. But they long to do this work with others. They long for a community that holds transformation up as an ideal, a community that believes that hearts can be changed, that wisdom is possible, and that they can be part of something that's larger than them that can make a difference in this world. And so people shop around, and and they're looking for communities that offer this help. And and many of these people start with a, a guided program that isn't really connected to a specific church, But then they're slowly invited to to explore options that are suggested at the end of the program. And these suggested churches use language that we're all really familiar with. It's become just almost meaningless, right? Phrases like, all are welcome. That is a meaningless phrase. Everybody says it now. Or alternatively, if they're trying to be really hip, right? They say, no perfect people allowed, which is, you know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) not for you. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Feel free to talk back anytime, actually. (laughs) I I really love it. Um, But then, you know, there are phrases like, come as you are. We've all got stuff. We're going to work on it together, and in doing so, we make a better world. But sadly, the subterfuge in some of these places only emerges after you've been a part of that community for a while and and you've developed a support system there. So I'll give you an example. A dear friend of mine joined the Hillsong Church. Oh, some of you have heard of it. (laughs) If you haven't, that's usually the response. Mm. It's a massive international church. It's very hip. It's very young. There's dynamic preaching, great music. It's a really fun place to belong, actually. 
my friend joined the New York franchise, and I went with him once. And honestly, the people were really cool. It was really cool. But it was only after he had been a part of the church for about a year, and he'd gone through a small group training, and he'd done a generosity program, that they began to talk to him about his sexual orientation. So he's a gay man, uh, unmistakably gay, uh, and very proud of it. And so they knew from the beginning, right? And they slow rolled the reveal that for him to fully belong to the church, he was going to have to enter into some form of conversion. Yeah, what initially looked inviting was actually predatory. Now, he left that church and he went on with his search for meaning, but what if he had been straight? What if he hadn't been as proud of who he was? Would that predatory behavior have worked in framing homosexuality as contrary to God? Well, I think we know the answer because we've seen a rise in it. So let's be clear. Unitarian Universalism is shrinking. All churches are shrinking. There is a Christian nationalism is on the rise We live in anxious times. The world is changing and people want answers. People want to belong to a community that's helping them. And part of the crisis that Unitarian Universalism is facing is in our effort to distance ourselves from the outgoing and evangelizing racist, misogynistic, patriarchal, and homophobic churches that we do not want to be confused with We've actually kind of abandoned a lot of these people who are just looking to lead meaningful lives. We've abandoned them. Now, we would never say this explicitly. We wouldn't say it explicitly. But many UU churches have a default mission that sounds something like, you know, the right people will find us. I know. Well, actually, it feels really good because all of you have found us, so all of you are the right people. But most people don't even know what to look for when they look for us, right? They don't know what to to search for. So they search for what they know, and, and they end up getting involved in churches that cultivate prejudice and bigotry because they don't even know we're here. They don't even know we're here. So I think the denomination as a whole, and UU churches in particular, are facing a critical moment. Are we going to change the story that we tell about ourselves and what we stand for, that we're non-believers, that we're a club, that those who want what we have will eventually find us, or are we going to make an effort to go find these people, to let them know we're here? These people who... All they really want is to lead meaningful lives, right? to be a part of something bigger than themselves that makes a difference in the world. So I think it's no surprise. I think you know what I want to do. And I realize that it's not going to be easy. But the safer path, right, the one that does not require us to change, likely means that we will slowly fade away. Not just as uh, any particular church, but as a denomination. Like, we will just slowly fade away. 
And I believe that the world needs more Unitarian Universalists right now, not fewer of us. I, I, I wouldn't do this job. If you think this job, I know we only work on Sundays, right? But <laughs> I, I wouldn't do this job if I didn't believe that. I don't do it to preach. I do it because... The world needs help, and I believe we are people who can offer that help. Not exclusively us, but we have a role. Now, I've told this story all over the country. People have invited me to speak at different blah blahs you know, uh, because I'm an evangelical. I am. I'm an evangelical, and all that means to me is that I believe that we have good news. I believe that we have good news, that your kids learn to grow into great human beings here. We have good news. And I believe that we are believers. Not just, you know, just not in the way that they define it. You know, you, you people, have great faith because in spite of all that we see in the world, right, the wars, starving children, left out to die, put into the army, used for concubines, the corruption of nations that sell weapons to these children, leaders handing out contracts to their cronies, corporations bankrupting the working and middle class. In spite of all of that, what we see is potential and goodness. We, we believe that, that we're not born sinners, right? Because you could easily look at that same, that's th those same facts and draw this conclusion, right? God, look at how horrible we are. Human beings are a plague. The planet will be better when we're gone. Blah, 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 right? They're, we're just sinners, we are not. We are not originally sinful. Amen. <laughs> we are born in blessing. Now we get frightened, and so we behave in ways that don't serve us or the planet because we get frightened. So who is going to be Who's going to be the place? Who's going to be the people that help us through that fear? We are. Yeah! <laughs> Holy smokes! Yeah, we are! Right? We don't need a heaven in the sky. We're not after a utopia. We, we want mutual respect and care. We want safety and love and compassion. They call us people of little faith, but we're people of great faith. We have faith in humanity despite all this crap that we see. We still believe we can turn it around. What kind of crazy person thinks that? We do. Because we have faith. We're believers in that. We're believers in you. I, I don't need some historical figure to say that he loves me. I need my neighbor to say that he loves me, that she loves me, that they love me, and I need to be able to say that I love them. That is my faith. That is my belief. 
We are people of great faith, and we have allowed some religions to define the term believer as someone who thinks that sins are only redeemed on the, with a sacrifice on a cross, and if you don't think that's true, then you're a non-believer. It's a binary framework that forces us to accept their worldview as a truth. But I don't think, I don't believe in the Bible. I mean, not as like the Word of God. I mean, does it have some good things in it? Sure. Yeah, there's some good stuff in it. Is there some really st- terrible stuff? Yes, also. Right? There's great wisdom, but I don't think it's, it's written by the Lord. And I'm so tired of having my legitimacy as a believer measured against that because I don't believe in it. We are believers. We just believe in, in something that's a little more difficult, which is that... There's an inherent worth and dignity to people. Yeah, even some of these chuckleheads that just got uh, their mug shots taken. <laughs> They've done horrible things, but it doesn't mean that as a living being, they don't have worth and dignity. They do. They need to be held accountable because that's how a, a healthy society works. But we can do that in a way that still acknowledges worth and dignity. In life. Exactly. (laughs) We believe that we are interwoven with this planet, right? Not we're not owners of it. We don't have dominion over it. Just (laughs) because the book says we have dominion over it. That's crazy. We believe in freedom and responsibility, in equality and justice. These are faith statements. Because you could just as easily look the other way, right? But they are faith statements, and it's why we say, it's why we shout, Black Lives Matter. It's why we demand access to health care, including abortion. It's why we advocate for income redistribution. It's why we support libraries and schools. This, is, this behavior isn't the belief. That's the evidence of the belief system that we live with, Right? That there is a longing. Did you say amen? Oh, yeah. Say it. Amen. Amen. All right. There's a longing in our hearts that we know that there is a better world that's possible if we trust one another instead of trying to control one another. Right. There we got some believers here. Golly. So here's the tough part. I mean, sermon one, right? Here's the tough part. We can stay on this hill. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. One of my favorite things is watching Pam Unger walk, do her walk in the afternoon. And she's so, she's so like careful not to like look in my office. I think, you know, she's just on her peaceful walk. It's really serene up here. And we've got to, Actually, I believe that we have to take care of this place because people need... uh, I've driven on your highways here, boy. (laughs) People need a serene spot, right? So we need to find a way to fund this place because it costs a lot to keep it. But people need it because Route 1 or Richmond Highway or whatever you call it, holy praise, praise, oh, oh yeah, I just pray going down that thing. 
But, you know, we're going gray. And there are people who need us, people who want to lead meaningful lives. And the churches they are encountering, the ones that are actively trying to be available, often, not always, but often, are guiding them towards bigotry and prejudice, towards selfishness and domination. My precious, my precious believers, the mission of sharing our faith is not about getting more people to show up on Sunday so we can pay our bills. It is about making a healthier, safer, better world. Amen. 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 Truly. We've witnessed some radical changes in the last handful of years. You know, first they cast the finger towards the specter of Islam, saying, you know, we need to be in those countries defending the rights of women. All the while, these same people were coming after the, the rights of women in our community. And they were coming after the minds of our children. You know, in Florida, I just heard this the other day, that they now have a curriculum that tells you that there, there were benefits to, to enslaved people uh, uh, under the, their enslavement. Uh, it, like, it's so, I have a hard time framing it because it that doesn't make any sense. But that's now part of the curriculum, right? That's the next extension of, like, getting rid of critical race theory, which, whatever. Uh, now to, to educate in terms of domination. We need to figure out how to articulate our faith before, you know, it's not just to keep our community safe, it's to keep the whole community safe before the women in the nation lose control of their bodies, and our children that are taught that science is evil, and before we begin to fear everyone who's outside our door. In the black church tradition, they have this phrase. They're like, bring it home, pastor. That's when the preacher's been preaching too long. And they're like, wrap it up. So, bring it home, pastor. All right, there we go. Final story. In my very first church, I led an altar call. Uh, very first sermon, I led an altar call. And uh, partly uh, it was because I'd been raised Unitarian Universalist, and you know we had this very popular book. It's still around, actually. It's called A Chosen Faith, right? But I did, Byron didn't choose it. I didn't choose, Like, we were just born into it. So it wasn't like a chosen, but I wanted to choose it. I wanted to choose it for myself, right? And so from the pulpit of the First Parish Church in Cambridge, Mass., I led an altar call. Uh, I was a little too naive to know that that wasn't really what we did. (laughs) Uh, But I did it, and as I wound up my sermon, I called uh, forth people to come forward and share a story of how Unitarian Universalism had uh, saved their life, improved their life, whatever. And I was met with total silence. (laughs) Nobody moved, right? And I was really nervous uh, and anxious, and I wanted to resolve it. But I just waited. I just waited. 
And just as like thoughts of failure were just <laughs> closing in, a man in his 40s got up from the middle of the pews and he walked forward, made his way to the mic, and he shared a story about how he had lived as a closeted gay man well into his 30s, ashamed of what he had been taught about himself, taught that he was a sinful person, and he wanted to kill himself. But someone had invited him to the first church of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and in that church he came out. And then he met a man that he fell in love with. And then he married that man at that church. And that, he said, was why he was now serving as the president of the congregation, because he was so grateful. Not out of an obligation, but because he felt so grateful. And as he made his way back to his pew, uh, a woman in her 20s came forward and she shared a story about how she had been so depressed she couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And she wanted to kill herself. And someone invited her to the First Church of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And when she made it there, she found connection and she was able to feel happy and that was why she now served as the leader of the young adult ministry. And she wasn't doing it out of uh, obligation. She was doing it because she felt grateful. You know, this isolation in the world has a huge impact. It is literally killing people. And we're not out there because we're living inside of someone else's story. A story that says we're non-believers, but you are believers, and what we offer saves lives. This is all I want to do as a minister, to find the lost and the lonely, to find those who suffer with shame and depression, to tell them that they are loved, that they have worth and dignity, that they can join and become part of something that is so much larger and makes a difference in this world. That's my faith. That's my belief. And I want us to go help them. Who's with me? All right, so raise your hand. Maybe stand up if you're willing to stand up. Who's with me? All right. Now, look around this room. Look around this room. Don't let someone tell you that your faith has no value. You have great faith. You believe in goodness and, the, and potential in this world. We live with blessing, and it isn't going to appear because some sky god wills it to be. It's going to appear because you bring it into being. And it takes work by those who believe. People who do it without any guarantee of success. You do it just because you have faith. Look at the people in this room. These are your companions. See their faces. And let's go out on this great journey together because 
When we say yes to our faith, there is no limit to who we can help and what we can accomplish. Amen. Thank you for listening. This sermon was part of the series called Loving the Hell Out of This World, where we explore four spiritual values needed to cultivate a safer, healthier culture. They are belief, wisdom, morality, and agency. In our free online community, we've taken short clips to highlight passages from the sermons to help you explore and reflect on what these ideas might mean for you. You can join the conversation at community.mvuc.org. It's a safe place to connect and reflect with other spiritual seekers like you. It's free to join, and you will also find a variety of other resources designed to help you cultivate the great work of your life. Again, that's community.mvuc.org. You may have heard other podcasts ask for a rating and review, which we certainly would welcome. It does help people find us. But we believe the best way to reach more people is through word of mouth. If what you heard resonated with your life and your values, please forward this episode to a friend you think might be helped by the message. We're all in this together. And it's up to each of us to stay connected in this increasingly isolated world. It's a common misconception that awakening or salvation is an individual affair. The truth is, we are interwoven physically and spiritually. My joy and safety is connected to your joy and safety. It's only by coming together that we will awaken and love the hell out of this world. If you're local to Alexandria, Virginia, or if you're just visiting the area, please join us on Sunday. We offer so much more than just a sermon. It is a full-body experience. You can find out more information on how to visit the Mount Vernon Unitarian Church at mvuc.org. Again, thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.